electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people are my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and put all this in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim. Kramer, people need reasons to buy besides declining prices. And this market just isn't yet giving you any. Yeah, the Dow plunged 614 points. S&P plummeted 1.7%. NASDAQ nosedived 2.19%. Hey, they were all much lower at one point. But I say, so what? You buy stocks because you think they're headed higher, not because they've come down from their highs. You buy stocks when they're too cheap, not merely when there's some sort of dip. A dip is not a reason to buy in itself, even as dips have been buying opportunities. I spent the last couple of weeks warning you not to buy stocks here. I told you that we've been hit and will be hit late September every year, two decades, big swoon. Yet I think there are lots of people who've forgotten that stocks can still go down and stay down. It's just dawning on them that you can lose big bucks in stocks. Others just got into the market recently, so they've never seen a sell-off happen. They feel betrayed. They want stocks to go back up because it's their right. It's right because they're like vacuum cleaners with warranties or something. How dare they go down? Maybe because I've been doing this for 40 years, I got a different approach. I look for reasons not to buy stocks just because they're down. I'm not attracted to dips. I'm attracted to stocks where we've got good reason to believe they'll be able to bottom and start working their way higher. If I don't see those reasons, then I will not pull the trigger. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about here. First, let's start with the Chinese conundrum. Everybody's finally, they're finally starting to talk about it. I love that. Thank you. Last week, I mentioned there's this real estate developer called Evergrande with $300 billion in liabilities that could be on the verge of going under. Now, unless you're a country... You should never have that kind of debt load. Sure, there are a handful of companies that are large enough to count as countries. Evergrande's not one of them. This is a property developer that's so strapped for cash, it probably can't pay the interest due this week on some of that debt. 
The Chinese Communist Party seems to be no friend of Evergrande, which was founded by a guy who at one point was the richest man in China. This year, their government has remembered that it's supposed to be a communist regime, which is bad news if you're a capitalist in need of a bailout because they want common prosperity. And we had uncommon rich people running this. Of course, there's a silver lining here. Despite their embrace of free markets over the last 40 years, at the end of the day, China does have a command economy. If the government wants Evergrande's management team to go down, well, the shareholders can get saved. That's what will happen. If they want to punish the shareholders but save the financial system, they'll let the stock go to zero but bail out the creditors. If they want to punish everybody but let the business keep running, they'll nationalize it. They're an authoritarian regime. We keep thinking there's some sort of democracy. They can do whatever the heck they want. Problem is, we don't know what they want. That's why we can't just jump in here. While we think the Chinese government must have a plan, we have no plan what that plan is. And most investors wouldn't believe them anyway. So we have to let this play out. I'm calling it the Chinese conundrum. Second, there's this debt ceiling issue. Now, we've been through a number of these debt ceiling issues, these tussles. They always end up getting resolved. This one will be no different. The worst was 10 years ago when our government got hit with a debt downgrade by the S&P. It was wrongheaded. The market dropped 19%. But it did cause a bottom. However, if you tried to anticipate that down 19% when it would bottom, you got run over by a freight train, 400 cars. Again, I think the debt ceiling will be raised or the White House will find some sort of workaround. But we could be in for a lot more sturm and drang before that happens. Third, not long ago, we thought we'd get an infrastructure bill, maybe even another stimulus package. Now everything's gridlocked and we've got no idea what Congress will do. So how can we anticipate anything from Washington? Fourth, COVID cases have peaked. Well, maybe they haven't peaked. Uh, maybe we'll discover a whole new wave after football stadiums are jam-packed with fans. I've got no idea, nor do the professionals, which is why I'm hesitant to turn bullish after today's beatdown. Fifth, the Federal Reserve meets this week, and there's rampant talk about how they'll taper their bond-buying program. Aren't you sick of the word taper? If the S&P 500 is down 10% from its highs, and Fed says nothing about tapering, will that send stocks higher? Is the absence of a negative when you don't even know what that negative is positive? No. Six, I spent all of the last two weeks warning you that now we're in the seasonally weakest time of the year and you should either go short or take something off the table. But given that the market pulled back ahead of time, does that mean the weakness is baked in as painful as today was? You could argue, and I will, that we're still at the beginning of the decline because the calendar is very ugly for the next couple of weeks. The fact that the Dow Jones average has turned negative for the quarter means nothing. It's just a collection of stocks. Collections don't collectively decide to stop going down. The idea that I'm now seeing and hearing panic and negative is positive. If only because we've been castigated for being too negative for these last two weeks. It was impossible to read my mentions column, even more than usual on Twitter, because I was so negative, so negative. Well, sorry. Next, we need fewer IPOs flooding the market with excess supply. Turn off the darn IPO spigot and corporate buybacks can help digest these shares. But we've got a seemingly endless supply of new stocks. Most of them I don't really want. Most of them you don't want. Most of them stink. And that's putting real pressure on the market. If these insiders got to get out at all costs, what the heck? What do you, why should you buy from them? Makes no sense. The deals in the pipe, they must be canceled to make me more bullish. Finally, you got to consider your fellow shareholders. Often they're your greatest enemy. They know how to buy things, whether it's crypto or tech or cruise lines or meme stocks. And they think their buying has the power to push stocks higher. Magical buying. And diamond hands. And it worked for a while. Uh, uh, it didn't work anymore. Do we think these meme investors will suddenly start saying, 
you know what? I got to do the present value of GameStop's business. I mean, maybe we ought to figure out the the discounted cash flow of AMC. <laughs> they never cared about that before. They certainly haven't learned how to do it now. Do you think they have real reasons when they make a case for buying something here? I don't know. Do you ever read what they have to say? They're on a permanent intellectual vacation. Look, I've been adamant. I mean, pound the table adamant that while we can have a temporary short covering rally, I bet you we get one tomorrow. This market's likely to get hammered here. I don't want you sucked in. It's been done every year for 20 years in this period. Now, others are finally joining in. They're saying, oh, my, maybe it's bad here. Well, you know, the bear. Well, uh, we've been going ourselves. You know what I mean? And they've been saying I'm Yogi or like the one that's in like the uh, E.B. White. What is that guy? The uh, panda, whatever. You know, that guy. Well, whatever. I'll come up with him during the break. Uh, Come on. Will you help me here? What is the one? The guy, the uh, Yogi? Yo, yo, poo. They think I'm poo. Like I'm poo. I've been seeing that in Twitter. He goes, he's poo. I thought it meant something else. Anyway, that alone doesn't give you a reason to buy. I can't honestly turn bullish in this market until you turn bearish, until we come up with some rationale for why the selling is going to stop. Right now, we simply don't have one other than the fact that we're poo. So so we sit tight and we wait for something that might compel us to buy a stock because we think it will go higher. For the moment, though, we got nothing to hang our hats on. Remember that thing I did with the hats? If anything, we have a lot of reasons to sell, including tonight's report from Lenar, where the great home builder actually missed guidance. Here's the bottom line. Mindless dip buying has been a fantastic strategy for 15 months, but it's worthless in the face of a serious sell-off, which is what we have now. I've been encouraging you to sell ahead of what's usually the weakest time of the year. I can't turn positive until I find an actual reason to change my mind. For the moment, we're not getting any. So please, you want to be a buyer? Find, Find a reason to buy. Let the pain of late September unfold before you pull the trigger. Otherwise, look, maybe make a couple of smackers, but you're going to get bushwhacked. Pooh needs to speak to Mark in Florida. Pooh! Hi, Jim. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Same. Uh, I'm calling about a favorite stock of yours. There has been repeated insider selling, and a direct competitor, Freshworks, uh, will come public in an IPO. Do you recommend waiting for some market stabilization or is Salesforce a buy at this level? Okay, today, this week is Salesforce, uh, is, uh, is uh, Dreamforce. Now, let me just tell you about Salesforce. I have liked this stock since eight bucks over 14 years ago. There have been many periods where it's been right to sell, but there's been far more periods when it's right to buy. I'm not saying it's Apple where I tell you don't even trade it. I am saying you can sell it if you're really nimble and maybe you can buy it back. But that kind of nimble, I can't do. Let's go to Heather in Florida. Heather. Jim, I'm calling you from a small island off the southwest coast of Florida where golf carts and boats are our main mode of transportation. But for most Americans, it's all about the car. With new car inventory issues and the hot market on used car sales, my stock question, best known as owners of Napa Auto Parts, what's your take on GPC? Well, look, my favorite is not GPC. They have actually some extraneous businesses. My favorite is to own a dealer. Uh, And believe it or not, I have to tell you, I like this Lithia Motors. I think they really know what they're doing. I'm going with Lithia. And by the way, I like Ford very much at 12. I really do. Winnie the Pooh likes Ford at 12. That's like Blue Horseshoe likes Anaconda. Let's go to Susan in California. Susan. 
Hey, love you, Jim. Long-time viewer and brand-new AAP member. Yes, thank you, Susan. How can I help? Oh, man, love you. Recently, the Wall Street Journal had two huge front-page stories about Facebook and all the unethical actions they have been involved in the last number of years. As you know, whitelisting, X-checking, which has provided exemptions from the rich, even notorious people, from the same rules we have. And also, they have done a terrible job, I feel, as covering up the uh, inequities right. in their algorithms, which also affect how they view um, things like the COVID, the right. radical crap that goes on with COVID, et cetera. And then finally, there's, there's Instagram. So Mark Zuckerberg parks in front of Congress, and according to reports from his own in-house people, he is hiding the truth. What's your take on all this? And Congress, which hasn't acted properly well, for years... Look, I, I, think that, I think that they've created, they've, they've had ethical issues. I think that they've grown so fast that I understand that. Do I think that Mr. Zuckerberg is, is an ethical person? I think he's doing his best. I like what they're doing for small business. I'm not going to jump all over them now. Too many people have actually used them to create new businesses. I just hope that they continue to try to reform and be better at what they do. And that will make people realize that they're not terrible people. All right. I don't believe they are. Now, I've been encouraging you to sell ahead of what's what I've said for the last 20 years has been a bad period. Now, suddenly I'm starting to hear, hey, Jim, I think it's bad. Well, you know what? When I hear people telling me it's bad after I've been telling them it's bad for a couple of weeks. Well, I say let the rest of the pain unfold, but don't give up. We're looking for opportunity soon. Bad money tonight. Airbnb, speaking of opportunity, is continuing to gain share in the travel market. It's got some very interesting news on our show. The exclusive's coming up with the CEO. His first in-person interview since the start of the pandemic. Then Chinese real estate developer Evergrande, it's too early to buy that one, is at risk of collapsing. So how did it happen? What does it mean for you? I'm breaking it down. And the beauty health company has soared since coming public via SPAC earlier this year. But with the market selling off, could the company focus on helping your face do an about face on Wall Street? Or are your pimples from those darn masks a godsend? I'm getting the latest from the CEO. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. 
Head to netsuite.com to start saving. The S&P had its worst day since May today, and you know we don't think it's over. But for the past couple of months, the whole market has been rocked by worries about the Delta variant, especially the travel and leisure stocks. Yet Airbnb has made an impressive run higher, even as it pulled back today, along with everything else. What's driving this move? you got to remember, when COVID is everywhere, Airbnb becomes the safest way to take a vacation. Plus, later this week, the company's presenting at the Skift Global Forum at the Travel Conference, where they'll make the case that we're in the middle of a travel revolution, a significant change in the way people move around. But do not take it from me. Earlier today, we had the privilege to catch up with Brian Chesky, the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Airbnb, who came by our headquarters in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey, to make his case directly to Kramerica. Take a listen. Brian, Airbnb has created a travel revolution, and this number tells me that's the case. Yes. Yeah, so we started just 14 years ago, and when we started Airbnb, I I remember the first person I told the idea about, he said, Brian, I hope that's not the only idea you're working on. Well, today, 14 years later, we just hit 1 billion guest arrivals on Airbnb. Imagine Airbnb being used a billion times. That's what's happened. Well, this is incredible from two sides. It's not just the fact that you created an amazing industry, but you've also created wealth and empowerment for people who didn't have it. Yeah, I mean, like, just to give you an example, since we started the company, women on Airbnb who are hosts, they're 55% are hosts are women, They've earned $70 billion through Airbnb. And the top professions of hosts are healthcare workers and teachers. So these are mostly everyday people, and this is a really important economic money for them. Now, I think what uh, it got some people worried was their belief that when you laid off people, and you had to lay off people, and I know because I spoke with you how heartfelt and difficult that was, that it was over for Airbnb. It turned out to be the absolute bottom, and it was time to buy Airbnb. I mean, a lot of people were asking, will Airbnb exist? And not only do we exist, it was just the beginning. It was really just the beginning, because what we've learned over these last 18 months is that our model is really adaptable. We're in a fast-changing world. This is one of the most disruptive times since World War II, where we have nearly every type of space and every community in the world at nearly every price point. And so we can adapt to however the travel patterns change. And the thing that's really interesting is we're also really innovative. We've done over 100 upgrades to our service just in the first six months of this year. So travel's changing. I think it's going to look nothing like it did in the past. Now, one of the things that I find interesting, I'm not if we are all uh, creatures of what we yeah, hear. No, totally. my daughter goes to Madrid. It's locked down. So what does she do on vacation? She goes to a different Airbnb place every weekend. Yeah. This is not unusual. No, I mean, I think what's happening now is a world of Zoom means a world where we don't all have to be in the office five days a week. Right. That's a world where we can be more flexible, where we can travel and go more places nearly any time. And what that meant is this past Q2, half of our business by night's booked was longer than a week. And a fifth of our business was a monthly stage, which is not even travel. So this is just a total revolution in how people are traveling. Now, we also used to think it was a shot in the dark. Now we've got enough to be able to know whether we'd like the place. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole thing works on a reputation system. And when a guest stays the host, they leave a review. And also, another number we hit, guests have left 500 million reviews on Airbnb properties. 500 million. And these are reviews that you can only leave after you make a reservation and you pay through the platform. We are not done with COVID, unfortunately. It's still raging. Many of us fear getting in an elevator. Others fear a communal setting. 
can't keep it clean. Airbnb became the de facto healthy choice. Yeah, I mean, it was privacy for a lot of people. A lot of people, they couldn't get on airplanes. They couldn't cross borders. They weren't traveling for business, but they could travel nearby. So they got in a car and they said, I'm stuck in the house. I want to work somewhere else. I want to see my friends. So they get another house. And Airbnb became the way for them to do that. And that's what's happened. And that's, I think, explained some of these milestones. All right. So go back to the fact that when you're trying to figure out, let's say you have some space. Yeah. Uh, what do you do? Do you call Airbnb? <laughs> I want people to know about this because if it's a billion, yeah. it could be two billion. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we have four million hosts, people who rent their homes on Airbnb. And they're, get, they're on at all times. And they're, they're on as we speak okay. right now. Four million. They have nearly about six million homes in nearly every community in the world. We're in about 100,000 communities. So wherever you live, I bet you there's an Airbnb. Sure. If you want a list, all you do is go to the Airbnb app or .com, and it's 10 really simple steps. We just guide you through the steps, and if you need help, we can match you to another host to help you through the process. Now, it takes 10, 20 minutes. Now, hotels have gone up in price. It, I, don't, yeah. I don't know why that is, maybe because they're struggling. I never saw a single hotel room go down in price. Yeah. But Airbnb, how do you size up the economics, say, for two families yeah. versus, say, going to a typical hotel that is in a city? Well, I mean, you know, compared to a hotel room where maybe for a certain cost, your whole family's in one room with one bed or they have to get two hotel rooms, right. on Airbnb, you can get a whole home. That home has multiple bedrooms, two or three bedrooms, has a kitchen, it's got a backyard, maybe a barbecue, may have a pool. It's in a neighborhood with a local grocery store you can patron. There's a host to welcome you to the community. So typically you'll get a lot more for your money. I think that's explained some of the some of the some of the experience of Airbnb. Or like the way you tell me your daughter, like sure. you know, a lot of people travel on Airbnb that couldn't afford to travel otherwise. I mean I started this company when I was twenty six. I couldn't afford to stay in a hotel. So it really has opened up for people who can't afford to travel, a new way to travel. And people who can't afford hotels are, I think, also realizing they can have... I mean, people love homes. That's why they live right. in them. Yes, they do. So we provide that over the world now, obviously. I can be negative like everybody else today, but <laughs> exactly. I've been negative. Now, let me ask you something. Is it possible that this incredible company that you created can get to $2 billion a lot faster than it got to $1 billion? Well, the one thing we know about compound growth is that the next $2 billion will absolutely happen a lot faster than the first billion. I think the word is getting out. Um, Airbnb is now in a noun and a verb used all over the world. When we started Airbnb, it was really like an alternative way to travel. Right. Now, it's, for many people, it's not the alternative. It's the default. It's the way people come, and they're not really going back. So I think, yes, we'll, we'll get there a lot faster. Well, I am proud to say that we saw you very early yeah, on. Very I early. love this idea. Yeah. I have loved it since. I've been a happy user, both sides, seller and buyer, like many other people yeah. watching. I got one more for you. Congratulations. Oh, thank you Brian very much. Chester. Thank you. Thank You've you very much. started it all. <laughs> thank you, Jim. Coming up, what does a Chinese real estate calamity have to do with your portfolio? Kramer connects the dots next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Now we got to figure this out. How the heck did a flailing Chinese real estate developer that most people have never heard of until about 24 hours ago, send the whole U.S. stock market into a tailspin today. And, and by the way, uh, the pain isn't done. I've been warning that this week in particular tends to be the worst part of the year for the market, although the reasons differ from one year to the next. Turns out what we're worried about this time is the potential collapse of an alpha called Evergrande, the second largest real estate developer in China. It is not going to last forever, and it sure ain't grand. Now, maybe you think most American businesses have nothing to do with the price of real estate in China. But what we're concerned about here is a very simple contagion. That's right. It's contagion. Sure, your Evergrande has 1,300 real estate projects across more than 280 Chinese cities, along with a bunch of side businesses, electric vehicles, theme parks, sports teams, beverages. They're even building a resort with an artificial island. Sure, they're a large enterprise. By revenue, it's roughly the same size as IBM, which is not nothing. But the real issue is Evergrande's balance sheet with over $300 billion in liabilities, including $88 billion in interest-bearing debt at the end of June. Whoa, their bonds are everywhere in Asia. Not much here, though. In other words, when you hear that Evergrande's in trouble, that could be very bad news, not just for shareholders, but also for its many creditors. And that's how you get contagion. This is why you keep hearing that this could be China's Lehman Brothers moment. Something I don't agree, but I have to talk about. So what exactly is happening here? First, you need to understand that for the past 20 odd years, China's booming economy has been what's really fueled. by it's really been fueled by real estate. Some people feel it's been fueled by the stock market. It's been fueled by real estate. During that period, Evergrande became one of the leading developers in the PRC. Although for years, people have been wringing their hands about how Chinese real estate's in bubble mode. Hey, speaking of bubbles, roughly a year ago, China introduced new rules for real estate developers known as the three red lines, with the goal of making these companies clean up their balance sheets. In short, the government made it much harder for companies like Evergrande to get financing, which immediately kicked off a mini liquidity crisis. At the time, Evergrande managed to strike a deal with investors and some government partners to escape by the skin of its teeth. That bought them some time, and they've been using that time to try to raise cash by selling off stakes in their side business. That's a very typical pattern. Fast forward to the summer, though, and things really started falling apart. In June, Chinese regulators told Evergrande's major creditors to stress test their exposure, while the company started getting hit with credit rating downgrades from the major rating agencies. Then the bankers with the most exposure here decided not to renew their loans when they mature later this year. Evergrande's managed to clean up its balance sheet a bit, a tad, but that hasn't contained the damage because the dominoes keep falling. By late July, one city halted sales in some of its residential projects, while many banks stopped providing mortgages to buyers of Evergrande's unfinished projects. This is also when we started hearing that the company wasn't paying its bills. 
July 27th. Evergrande surprised everybody when it decided not to pay a special dividend less than two weeks after flagging it to its investors, which led to another round of credit downgrades. They said they're going to do it, and then they don't, and not optimal. Last month, we got more reports of missed payments to suppliers. Now there are a whole host of lawsuits from overdue bills. August 19th, Chinese regulators did something unusual. They publicly told Evergrande to, to resolve its debt problems and stop spreading untrue information. That That's their word, not mine. You rarely see this kind of public rebuke in China, which made it seem like the government might not be willing to bail these guys out. That's really freaking people out. Remember, the People's Republic of China has started acting a lot more like a People's Republic in the last few months, meaning they're back on the communism bandwagon. Forget too big to fail. The new policy is too big, must fail. Doesn't help that the founder and chairman used to be the richest man in China, a perfect target for the government's new common prosperity initiative. By the end of August, Evergrande came clean started warning that it risked defaulting on its debts if it couldn't find a way to raise cash. Nobody wants to give money to a company that can't meet its obligations, though. And it gets worse. See, Evergrande's long relied on something called pre-sales. They sell apartments before they're finished. Good way to bring in cash, but then you actually have to finish the darn things. Right now, the analysts figure that Evergrande's on the hook for 1.6 million unfinished apartments that have already been sold. I'm going to repeat that number because it's so crazy. 1.6 million apartments that have already been sold. That's a huge chunk of their liabilities. But it's tough to finish construction projects when you don't have any money to finish construction projects. As the New York Times reported this weekend, it's gotten so bad that Evergrande's even been hitting up its employees for cash. Some of them were told they had to loan the company money if they wanted to keep their bonuses. FYI, the moment your employer tries to borrow money from you, you need to start looking for a new job. This month, the headlines have only gotten worse. On the first, Evergrande's chairman led a pledge signing ceremony where he promised to complete construction on all of its pre-sold homes. Hey, call me jaded. But that kind of thing doesn't inspire confidence. Then the company got hit with another round of credit downgrades, with Fitch even flagging a probable default. A week and a half ago, we learned that Evergrande would suspend interest payments on loans to two banks that were due today. We've also heard rumors that they'll suspend all payments on their wealth management products, like annuities. Oh, man. And though the chairman has promised to repay investors who held those products, this past weekend it offered to do so with discounted properties, like apartments, retail locations. Get this. Parking spots. Last Monday, things took a very public turn uh, for the worst when Evergrande's jilted customers descended upon the company's headquarters to protest. You're not allowed to protest in communist China. The next day, management issued a very downbeat assessment of its financial condition. And it looks like they're having trouble monetizing their side businesses. Last Thursday, Evergrande applied for a suspension in trading on its onshore bonds. Another sign that default could be likely. I think the only way out of this is a government bailout. But the same day, the editor-in-chief of Global Times, by the way, that's not like the New York Times, that's called a state-backed newspaper, said that Evergrande shouldn't expect a bailout just because they think they're too big to fail. Remember my thing, big fail. Meanwhile, Evergrande's stock has been obliterated, and that pain is spreading to the rest of the Chinese real estate industry, to the Chinese financial sector, and to foreign banks with lots of China exposure. That tends not to be U.S. banks, just so you know. What does it mean? Evergrande is definitely a systemic risk for China. But I don't think that will do much damage here. However, there are some, certainly some sectors that will get hit. If Chinese real estate collapses, that's bad news for the metals and mining complex. And witness the breakdown in Freeport McMurray, that's a giant copper company. Plus, if this causes a full-on recession in China, then U.S. businesses with lots of Chinese exposure could get hit there. You're thinking about the Starbucks, Estee Lauder, a Nike, Caterpillar, a, 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 look, Tesla, even Apple. Don't, don't, don't flit in and out of it. It's not going to work, okay? 
I'm not worried about the U.S. banks. They've been pretty much shut out of Chinese market anyway. We used to think that was a problem. Maybe they dodged a bullet. Cryptocurrencies also could collapse more than they have. And I've got more on that later, so you want to stay with me. Uh, but the bottom line, I don't think the Evergrande fiasco will do serious damage to the U.S. economy, even as there are some groups that could get hit. But it does give investors a great excuse to do some selling, and they're taking it. My view, just sit this one out, please. Then you can buy stocks with zero China connection at better prices and not have to worry about a place that you had never heard of until today called Evergrande. Paul in Texas. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Paul. I've been looking at casino stocks, and with the virus going on, a lot of them cut or suspended their dividends, and then reopening the Delta and China now. So I started looking at MGP, MGM Growth Properties, which is paying a little over 5% dividend, and they never cut it during all this time. So I'm wondering, with all the uncertainty going on right now, would that be a place to invest in casino stocks? I I think you deserve a higher yield than just 5% for that level of risk. So I'm going to say no to that one, Paul. Let's go to to, uh, Matt in Maryland. Matt. First time, long time, Jim. Thanks for all you do for the average investor. Thank you. Yes, uh, well, I wanted a real estate play for diversification. I've got my dividends reinvested and my cost basis out, and I'm on house money now. So the ticker symbol C-U-B-E, is it smart to stay in Q-smart? Yeah, that's real good. That is the kind of stock I like. I know it looks like it's coming down, but, yeah, you got a good one. It's got good growth, decent yield, and good management. All right, look, I don't think Evergrande actually poses serious risk to the U.S. economy, says Democrats, but it does give investors a terrific excuse to sell. I want you to sit it out for a couple of weeks, right? You might be able to find something beforehand, uh, but you got to wait until we stop. We just heard, a lot of people just heard of Evergrande. Let's make it so everybody knows Evergrande, and then we got a good reason to start thinking about them. Fine. All right, much more bad money ahead, including my exclusive with the Beauty Health Company. How is the company behind the hydrofacial continuing to invent, innovate in a growing space? I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then younger investors are still embracing cryptocurrencies, but could there be some looming threats to look out for? I'll reveal what I'm seeing, and if it's time to cash in on some of your profits, hint, yes. And all your calls, rapid fire touches in the lightning round, so stay with Kramer. In a difficult market like the one we have right now, we want to circle the wagons around the long-term growth stories that can hold up, even in the face of worries about a Chinese credit collapse. Which brings me to the Beauty Health Company. And that symbol is skin for all you home gamers. The medical aesthetics outfit that came public via SPAC merger earlier this year. This is one of the few SPAC winners out there, in part because it's a real company with real sales, real earnings. They sell their product, Hydrofacial, to health spas and dermatologists, then get a stream of recurring revenue every time a customer gets a $200 skin cleansing procedure. I recommended this one in June after speaking to Chairman Brent Saunders. He's formerly of Allergan. Since then, the stock's up more than 40%. So can it keep climbing as it has nothing to do with today's current woes? Let's check in with Clint Carnell, the CEO of the Beauty Health Company, to learn more about his business and where it's headed. Mr. Carnell, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having us. All right. Now, we know Brent Saunders from way back. He talked to us about your company, but I want it straight from the horse's mouth. Beauty Health Company. Talk about the category that you created and how it's different from what everybody else has. Sure. Uh, Thanks, Jim. Brent's a great chairman, and it's been fun partnering with him this last year and getting the company public. 
Uh, Hydrafacial is our flagship brand. Uh, we're creating the category Beauty Health. Thus, we name the company Beauty Health Company. And it's real simple. Three steps, 30 minutes to the best skin of your life. Now, there are people on my staff who use it. I, was, I didn't even know about it. How did the word get out and how can the word keep spreading, including internationally? Yeah, Jim, there's a lot of people on this planet and they all have skin. Hydrofacial is the best thing for good, healthy skin. Um, you know, our, us who our competition is, we, we're really creating the category, defining the playing field. And so for us, consumer awareness is our competition. Uh, going public, we've doubled our spend to raise consumer awareness for what's high single digit unaided awareness right now domestically uh, to really becoming a global brand. Because when you get it, most people get it again. In fact, two thirds of our customers stick and some become really sticky getting it six to eight times a year. So consumer awareness and getting people aware of hydrofacial is the single greatest uh, pillar of our growth that's going oh. forward. Okay, so you're watching and you're saying, how do I know I need this? What, what, I, can, I mean, my skin looks fine or, or, or I've been spending a lot of money going to dermatologists. This seems like something that's not as good as what I'm getting. Yeah, so think about the way the market's been developed. You've got wonderful companies that speak well to the consumer, lotions and potions, um, you know, really great brands out there that have created amazing companies, uh, but very little evidence of uh, whether they work. Um, if you look at kind of the, the medical side of things, certainly where Brent was CEO at Allegan, Botox, a wonderful product. It almost treats aging like a disease. You've got to go to a physician. Very little direct-to-consumer marketing. Beauty Health sits right at the bridge, the most efficacious thing in beauty brands and the most approachable things. It feels good. You look good immediately. We show you your gunky so you know it worked. It's all for $200. Um, so for us, in every treatment, you cleanse, extract, and hydrate. That's something everybody needs, whether you're a 17-year-old male or an 86-year-old female. Cleanse, extract, and hydrate is a great way uh, to have healthy skin on a, on a daily basis. We have been, since this show began more than 16 years ago, big believers in what we call the razor, razor blade model, whether it be Gillette or whether it be intuitive surgical. You have a classic one. It's a great business model. Well-balanced P&L, um, 50% razor blades, 50% what we call delivery systems. Uh, it's really diversified globally. Uh, diversified across the channel, and no one single partner of ours has any penetration inside of our P&L. So a lot of diversification, not only on the, on the business model, but lots of levers of growth uh, for many years to come. Now, there are many companies that are faltering. A lot of companies are connected to China. A lot of people have given up on a lot of companies. Your stock is up more than 120 percent. And yet when you went to go bar- borrow money, you got the equivalent of any triple A balance sheet. How did that happen? How much did you get and how much did you originally ask for? Yeah, so one is having Brent as my partner, the, you know, the, the public markets really like him and are aware of his deal making. The stock has performed well. I think we picked up great analyst coverage. We've got wonderful uh, blue chip long investors. Uh, we, we asked them, you know, if we were to uh, go out for fundraising, what type of vehicles would you like to see, given we were relatively new as a public company? And the convertible markets look like the right vehicle. Uh, we're so pleased about the way we landed it last week. And it felt like um, in current investors, new investors, and the company uh, all landed this in a really good place, giving us a great balance sheet. We started with a a smaller raise in mind. We ended up with $750 million. As we get towards the end of October and everything clears, probably somewhere around a billion dollars in dry powder, uh, which will support our M&A activities, which we've been very clear uh, since going public was going to be the fourth pillar of growth for this company. 
Well, look, I have been an open critic of SPACs, but I am not a critic of what you have accomplished because this is a remarkable company that does well in thick and thin. I want to thank Clint Carnell, CEO of the Beauty Health Company. Easy to remember, symbol S-K-I-N. Thank you, sir, for being on Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Look, we can wring our hands. We can say there's nothing good. But you know what I said at the top of the show? Or we can look for companies that have nothing to do with today's problems. Companies like Skin. Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. It is time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round. Are you ready? Skeet, Daddy, the lightning round. Jerry messages. Jerry. Hi, Jim. Jerry, how are you? Great. Hey, I love your show, and, and I have a few of your books. Oh, thank you. I, I like a stock that has good earnings growth and a low peg ratio, but it hasn't been rewarded with a higher stock price, and I'm wondering why. Uh, the stock is MCFT, Mastercraft Boat Holdings. Well, I think that it's hostage by a belief that that industry was a industry that was great during COVID, and as COVID winds down, people are going to not buy boats. I disagree. I agree with you. And I like Brunswick, B.C. David in Michigan. David. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah, David. Can I say your, can I say your staff is amazing? Oh, my God. They make me look good every single day, especially Captain by Regina Gilgan, our executive producer. What's up? Well, my question is about Nokia and OK. I am is warming up to Nokia. That'll be the first time since 1998. I'm not kidding. I think they're doing something's right. I'm waiting for the stock to come down. It is there. Let's keep it close and do work. Nathan in Pennsylvania. Nathan. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. All hey, right. I want to know if you uh, like this stock, and if so, at what price point should I pull the trigger during this pullback? The stock is Element Solutions Incorporated. I don't know Element Solutions. I got to do something, even with their incorporation. I have to do something. Jim in California. Jim. Hey, Jim. Should I add more SoFi technology to my position? We're not adding anything here right now. We're going to wait to see the denouement of what's going on in China. But I think that around 13, you probably do want to pull the trigger. Let's go to Betsy in California. Betsy. Hey, Jim. I feel like Dorothy today. You know, there's no place like home. I don't see anybody. I don't see anybody asking Mike Jackson to, could could they please give back his Horatio Alger Award? You know, I'm not looking for a reason to buy today, Jim. I agree with you. Right, right. Boy, this is a really good reason. It is. It's a great company. AutoNation is a great company. Anything used is a great company. I like Lithia, too. Uh, I've got to tell you, I think that this is their time, and as long as there's a chip shortage, it works. Let's go to Manuel in Illinois. Manuel. Yes, Jimmy Chill. I'm looking to add a defensive stock to my portfolio. Just wanted to know what you thought about Raytheon Technology. Raytheon. <laughs> buy some tomorrow, then buy some on the way down. The market is headed lower. Let's go to Abby in Wisconsin. Abby. Hey, Jim. How are you? Thank you for allowing me to be on your show. I have a question. Regarding the Spirit Aerosystem SPR? No, 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 no. We're right now we're a little cool in the aerospace industry. We're watching Boeing go down. I for the Chapel Trust under 190. That's why I pulled the trigger there. Dave in California. Dave. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah, Dave. 
Listen, I've been looking at this. Uh, it's kind of in my speculative basket, but there's a, there's a company called Workhorse. No, Group. no, 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 no. We had enough problems on in Ford Motor, which is the king of And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is China on the verge of a Lehman Brothers moment? Kramer weighs in on a crisis that could be coming to your doorstep next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. He's a lever- level-headed guy. Let's get him on. Well, no, you have to book him. Oh, you do? Can't just, like, can't just say, you can't shout. Trying to find him at lunch. I've never actually. I don't know. He's a nice guy, man. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. We are trying to make sense of things for you here tonight in the face of this incredibly difficult but panicky tape. I like to buy hysteria, not sell it. I like to buy panic, not sell it. We don't advocate panic because it's not a strategy. There are two kinds of companies in the blast zone the ones that are at risk and the ones that are really at risk. What bounces best? That's what you must be thinking about at this point. What a day. We have your back and we'll get through this together. Don't panic. Stick with Kramer. And let's get through it together. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Like I told you earlier, this whole market suddenly worried about contagion from the collapse of this outfit called Evergrande, the Chinese real estate titan. As we saw today, the contagion is doing real damage to our stock market. But I'm actually more worried about a different world. I'm worried about the crypto world. There's a ridiculous misperception that American banks stand to lose big on Evergrande. But that's preposterous. The Chinese government never gave our banks the opportunity to invest in outfits like this one. They thought they were punishing us. Now it looks like maybe we lucked out. Can't get hurt by Evergrande, Evergrande if you were never in a position to benefit from it in the first place, right? Today, I'm going to tell you that. Besides here. But you know what? There's one part of the U.S. economy that could be hurt by a meltdown in the Chinese credit markets, and that's the crypto economy. I don't blame anyone for owning crypto. I'm a big believer, too. I position Ethereum, if you're doing quite well, with Bitcoin. However, I'm under no illusion about the linkage here. It's something we've talked about before, and it's the so-called stable coins, especially Tether. This is the linchpin of the crypto economy. Think of stable coins as the money market of crypto. It's the connection between stuff like Bitcoin or Ethereum and the actual economy. Because most of the cryptocurrencies people trade are way too volatile to actually be used as well as currencies. I mean, even despite what all these companies are saying, they take it. If you want to transact with crypto, you need something like a stable coin that's pegged to real assets. The largest stable coin is this outfit called Tether. The problem with Tether is that it's backed by various holdings, and roughly half of those are commercial paper, short-term loans. And much of that is believed to be, but we don't know, to be Chinese commercial paper. At one point, we thought they just owned U.S. dollars. The so-called stablecoins were backed by U.S. treasuries. What a bunch of idiots we were. After a lawsuit brought by New York State, we learned that they were keeping their money in these short-term debt instruments that we don't know anything about. Last week, we talked to SEC Chairman Gary Gensler about Tether and, and, and what they owned, and he said he was concerned. 
You should be concerned. Tether said they have no Evergrande exposure. Thank you. But tons of Chinese businesses stand to get crushed by this fiasco, and they have Evergrande exposure, and that could spell real trouble if the dominoes fall here. Let me put it this way. In 2008, a Lehman Brothers money market fund collapsed, which acted as an accelerant for the financial crisis. Could the same thing again uh, happen with Tether? Just say I'm concerned, okay? Why should you care about Tether if you own some other cryptocurrency? Simple. Do you have any idea how much Bitcoin and Ethereum are purchased with Tether? It makes up a huge chunk of all transactions. Tether's like a $60 billion company. If Tether collapses, well, then it's going to cut the whole crypto ecosystem. So if you own crypto in any form and you've got big gains, I recommend taking something off the table. Now, I know there are lots of younger people who love this stuff. They own slivers of it and Robin Hood. I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, crypto eventually goes mainstream. But right now, owning crypto is what's known as a crowded trade. And I don't want you to lose money if this space keeps getting hit by Evergrande's contagion worries. Make no mistake, unlike American banks, these cryptocurrencies could truly be vulnerable here thanks to that Tether connection. Take Tether out and it wouldn't be, by the way. If the Chinese Communist Party liked crypto, that would be one thing. But they've spent this year trying to stamp out everything crypto-connected in China. And they don't seem to have much interest in stopping this problem at the source by bailing out Evergrande, or at least they don't want to bail out the shareholders and the creditors. I know the crypto lovers never want to hear me say sell. But if you got a big gain as I did, well, I'm begging you to. Don't let it become a loss. Sell some. Stay long the rest. Then let's wait and see if China changes its attitude towards an Evergrande bailout. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The News with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 